A few years ago, Kath and I were standing outside a local restaurant. We were waiting to be seated on what was kind of a busy night. And while we were standing there, we ran into some old friends we'd gone to church with years earlier. Um, I don't know, maybe 10 years, long time. Anyway, we changed, exchanged pleasantries, chatted about a little of this, a little of that. And then uh, Lyle, do you guys get a big echo off this or is it just up here? Okay, it's just up here. Um, Lyle kind of, you know, uh, kind of uh, on the aside, kind of like it's a secret or it's a conspiracy. He leans over into me and he looks in my face and he says, so Mike, are you still walking with the Lord? It, it had been many years and many miles since we'd seen each other. And when the pleasantries are done, he only wants to know one thing. So Mike, are you walking with the Lord? And I loved it. I love that he asked me the question. I love that I could say yes. And the truth was that people that Lyle and I had known uh, in a fervent church that appeared to have a fervent faith, uh, both of us knew weren't walking with the Lord anymore. So his question to me, kind of the one thing he really wanted to know after the years had gone by was that one thing, are you still walking with the Lord? We're going to be back in 1 Thessalonians this morning. And a couple of weeks ago, when we were in chapter 2, we looked at what does God value most in the world? What should we, like Paul, value most in the world? And we saw that that was the church, it was people. Everything else comes and goes. But the greatest treasure on the earth for God or for us concerning something outside of ourselves is people. This morning, the text also talks about something that we're to see as a treasure or as a Value And ask yourself as we start reading the text this morning, not outside, not if you look around yourself in the world, but if you do a self-inventory, if you kind of objectively look at the person you are physically, mentally, emotionally, the gifts, the capabilities, etc. that you have, what do you look at and say, that's my greatest asset, that's my greatest quality, that's the greatest treasure God has given me personally? Keep that in the back of your mind, and we'll read through 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, verses 1 through 10. If you haven't been here before, quickly, uh, Paul is writing his Christian friends in Thessalonica, and he'd been there for a short period, a church started, and no sooner does the church start than trouble starts. For Paul, he's got to leave, he goes down the coast, he writes to them from Athens, he's checking on them, how are they doing? And they're going through tough times, and so he's concerned about them. And he picks up that thread here. So verse 1, Therefore, when we could endure it no longer, we thought it best to be left behind at Athens alone. And we sent Timothy. If you remember, Timothy and Silas were with Paul when he'd gone through this city, so he sends Timothy back. Timothy, our brother and God's fellow worker in the gospel of Christ, to strengthen and encourage you as to your faith, so that no one would be disturbed by these afflictions For you yourselves know that we have been destined for this. For indeed, when we were with you, we were telling you in advance that we were going to suffer affliction. And so it came to pass, as you know. For this reason, when I could endure it no longer, I also sent to find out about your faith. For fear that the tempter might have tempted you and our labor would be in vain. But now that Timothy has come to us or come back to us from you, And has brought us good news of your faith and love, and that you always think kindly of us, 
longing to see us just as we also long to see you. For this reason, brothers, in all our distress and affliction, Paul also was having a difficult time, we were comforted about you through your faith. For now we live or we really live if you stand firm in the Lord. For what thanks can we render to God for you in return for all the joy which we rejoice before our God on your account? As we night and day keep praying most earnestly that we may see your face and may complete what is lacking in your faith. So there's the story. Paul's concerned, sends Timothy back. How are they doing? And really the the key question is how's their faith? Timothy comes back with good news and Paul is encouraged. Paul's take, uh, briefly before we jump into the main thing we'll be talking about this morning, there at verse um, 10, uh, we may see, or or, excuse me, verse 9, uh, what uh, can we render to God for you in return for all the joy with which we rejoice? Remember in Third John, John said, I have no greater joy than this, than to hear my children walking in the truth. Paul's got a variation on that theme, than to hear my children walking in faith. And that's what he's concerned about when he sends Timothy back. So just so we don't miss the point, let me rehearse what Paul said in... Ten verses, let me, let me quote partially out of five. In verse two, Paul says, We sent Timothy to strengthen and encourage you as to your faith. Verse five, he says, When I could endure it no longer, I sent to find out about your faith. Verse six, Timothy came to us from you and has brought us good news of your faith. Verse seven, In all our distress and affliction, we were comforted about you through your faith. Verse 10, praying earnestly that we may see your face and may complete what is lacking in your faith. What do you think the key concern for Paul is about this group of folks? It's faith, isn't it? Have you kept the faith? Are you still walking with the Lord? So five times in ten verses, Paul says the issue, his primary concern for this group of new believers is their faith. And he says he wants to strengthen their faith. He wants to encourage their faith. He wants to find out about their faith. He wants to complete their faith. He wants news of their faith. He was personally comforted by news of their faith. Now, think about this. If you were separated from someone you knew, loved, cared about, and you know that their world is upside down, that natural disasters have occurred, or or persecution like this has occurred, or, or whatever kind of trouble could have come into someone's life on the earth, and you send back to them, what do you ask them? When you say, how are you doing? What do you ask them? These guys were going through tough times, and Paul could have asked them about a number of things, right? When we hear persecution in this day and age, we should be thinking about things like imprisonment, beatings, the seizure or forfeiture of properties, of wealth. Are you with me? This is when you read the New Testament. This is what persecution for the early church looked like. Martyrdom in the end, though we don't read of that yet in Thessalonica. Tough times. So Paul could have said, hey, um, do you have enough money? Do you have enough food on the table? He could have said, hey, do you still have your business? Are you able to support yourself and your family? And this would be no small thing, right? He could have said, hey, how are you feeling about what's going on? (laughs) How are your emotions? Maybe that's what we would ask. The one thing he asks about, though, here is, how is your faith? Are you still walking with the Lord? Is your faith intact? Do you still believe? In the midst of all the troubles you're going through, 
no small thing, are you still walking with Christ? Now, <clears throat> this issue about faith, um, it's hard to overestimate the importance of it. And let me just give you a brief thoughts on this, just related to the term and then the use. You remember when we opened this book, we said that this letter is kind of bookended by the Holy Trinity of faith, hope, and love. You see it in chapter 1, you see it in chapter 5. Faith, hope, and love. And we tend to emphasize things, especially like love, and certainly love is an important concept. But just hear a few statistics here. If you read an English Bible, and I think my stats are from the NIV, though it could be the New American Standard. In the English Bible, Paul uses the term hope 45 times. And in the New Testament, the New Testament uses, in the English version, the term hope 68 times. The term love is used by Paul in our English Bibles 89 times, quite a bit more. And then in the New Testament, love in the English version 183 times, quite a bit more. Love looks pretty important. When you get to the term faith, though, in Paul's writings, guess how many times? 130. And when you get to faith in the New Testament, 183 occurrences of love, 228 occurrences of the term faith. Now, if you do a search in the Greek text, so you go back to the Greek words, I combined agape, eros, and phileo, which are the three main Greek terms for love. In the New Testament, I've got a total of 377 occurrences. I did a search for pistis and its variations, which is the Greek term we translate either faith or believe or belief, 427 occurrences. You get the picture. Faith is a big deal. In the New Testament, it occurs more than these other primary Christian virtues we think of more than love. Now, if you read Paul in 1 Corinthians 13, you know he says, faith, hope, and love, the greatest among these is love. But just for a little bit of context on this, at least in part, it's because of this. How long do faith and hope last? How long do they last? They end, don't they? They end when we see Christ face to face, hope is fulfilled, and faith is no more because we don't need to trust for something. The reality is there. Faith and hope are temporary. Love goes on forever. So at least in one sense, faith and hope are, are less than love, we might say, because love goes on forever. But in our life on the earth, faith is what everything else is built on. You can't have biblical hope apart from faith. And I would argue you can't have Christ-like love apart from faith either. So even though we say love is the greatest of these, Love is built on the foundation of faith. And just based on the number of occurrences this term is used, faith is, if you will, the bedrock of everything else in the Christian life. Its importance cannot be, in that sense, overstated. You guys probably know, if you watch the TV or read uh, popular media of one sort or another, it's kind of hip to be spiritual. Are you spiritual kind of in quotation marks, um, Oprah has revitalized uh, faith in quotation marks in America. Um, if you talk about Scientology or if you talk about Eastern religions, uh, you have a ready ear in the United States. Um, in that sense, religion, faith is kind of popular, it's cool, it's, it's hip, whatever. Um, or if you think of things like... Uh, 
positive mental attitude. You know, in America, we have kind of the can-do attitude. You know, uh, we might call that faith sometimes that we can do this. We can get through this. I have faith that the future will be better, that we'll work through tough times, etc. Um, all of this may, may be good or bad, depending on what aspect of that you're looking at. But none of this has anything to do with what Paul's talking about when he writes to this group of early Christians. He's not asking them about any of that pie in the sky or warm fuzzy lights when I die. He's not talking about any of that. He's asking them specifically, is your faith in Christ intact? Not are you religious. Remember, they lived in a religious culture just like we do. So faith isn't about being religious. And it's not going about uh, going to the temple or the synagogue. It has nothing to do with any of that. When he's asking them about their faith, he's asking them, is your faith, is your trust, is your confidence in Christ and in His Word intact? Biblical faith, and uh, I'm struck sometimes, we watched the movie Christmas is Coming On, we watched Miracle on 34th Street last night, great movie, we enjoyed it. Terrible theology, especially in the, the modern version. Um, we talk about faith in general in a culture like it's we believe something or, or we choose to believe something that has no, no basis in reality. You know, when, when people say we accept things on faith, generally they mean there's no real reason to believe it, but we just choose to. That is not biblical faith. In fact, if, if that's what you're into, it's like you'll believe anything. This, this has nothing to do with anything about the Bible. Biblical faith is choosing to believe that what God has said or revealed is true and then it's acting in confidence on that statement or revelation. That's biblical faith. You cannot have faith if God hasn't spoken. Faith is a response to something God has said or something God has done or something God has revealed. So biblical faith is always about what has God said, what has God done. And then that elicits trust confidence, belief. Today, biblical faith is focused in a person of the Lord Jesus Christ. Think about this for just a second. Uh, I had a conversation over Thanksgiving with a relative. We're kind of talking about big, big, uh, big ticket items here in the spiritual world. Um, and the question was, people in the Old Testament didn't believe in Jesus. There was no Jesus to believe in, so how were they saved? Well, they were saved by faith. Well, what did they believe? Well, they believed whatever it was that God had spoken to them. They believed God's word. So Genesis 15, Abraham believes God about, even though he's old, God's going to give him a son. Too old to have a son. Abraham believes it, and it says God counted it to him as Righteousness. God believed what, or excuse me, Abraham believed what God said. That's biblical faith. Well, today, you can't have biblical faith apart from trust, confidence in the person and the work of Jesus Christ. I say that for this reason. Hebrews 1, 1 and 2, the opening verses to a book written to people who knew something about the Old Testament. The writer says this, In the past, God spoke to our forefathers through the prophets at many times and in various ways. So that's the Old Testament. That's God speaking to Abraham. That's Isaac, Jacob, it's Moses, it's the prophets, it's the kings, it's David. God spoke in the past. 
And those who believed, those who were saved through faith, believed what it was that God had said. But he goes on to say, in these last days he has spoken to us by his Son. Jesus Christ is God's Word on the earth. We can't have biblical faith today apart from the person and the work of Jesus Christ. Biblical faith is about Christ. It's not about just the Old Testament, rich as that is. It's about the fulfillment of the Old Testament. That's what Paul's talking about. So when Paul writes to the Thessalonians, the kind of faith he's asking them about in the face of persecution is, do you still believe Jesus is the one? Are you still clinging to the hope that He rose from the dead on your behalf? And are you still looking forward to that blessed hope of His return when He sets all things right and and installs His kingdom? Do you still have that kind of faith, that kind of hope? Is that still the kind of life you're walking? Tim goes back to Paul and he says, Hey, they've kept the faith. And they're walking with Christ. Let me ask you, how's your faith? If Tim sat down with you after lunch this afternoon, and he has his chat with you, and he goes back to Paul, what does he say? Does he say, hey, no worries. They've kept the faith. They're walking with Christ. Would Paul be encouraged or otherwise if Tim sat down with us this afternoon and then goes back to Paul with the message? Asking each other about our faith or some kind of variation on that theme. Are you walking with the Lord? This is appropriate. This is probably something we should be doing. I'm thinking of Hebrews eleven six. By the way, you know, Hebrews talks a bunch about this concept of faith. But in chapter 11, verse 6, we're told without faith it's impossible to please God. For you and I as Christians, the ability to please God is predicated on faith. That we believe what He said, that we're acting on it. So to ask each other, how's your faith? Are you walking with the Lord? It's kind of the most fundamental, foundational question we can ask each other about. Is our life in any way, is it pleasing God? How's our faith? Think about this. As Christians, we receive eternal life through faith. We live by faith, or walk by faith is another phrase throughout the New Testament, and we die in faith. Faith is what characterizes us. It's what sets us apart from the rest of the world. Faith is the foundation on which God works in your life and mine. Faith is the shield, Ephesians 6 that saves you from the rockets and the darts from the enemy. Faith or trust in God or confidence in Christ and His Word is the means whereby God shapes us, He directs us, He builds into our lives, and He uses us in the lives of others. Faith is it. Faith is not only where we start, it's where we live. Lord willing, it's where we die. Think of this also, though. What do we suffer for lack of faith, for lack of confidence in the truth of God's Word in whatever situation we're in. And this, you don't have to think too long or too hard. For lack of faith, we don't enjoy the kind of comfort in this life God means us to. Or for lack of faith, we work hard at things, but in the wrong directions and in the wrong ways, and we see little fruit come from it. Does this strike a chord with with any of you as it does with me? Like if I'm in an anxious situation, why am I worried? If I know that God says, hey, I'm going to take care of everything that concerns you, 
And if it's food or money or if it's health or whatever, if I know what God has said about that situation, why would I be anxious? Or for instance, if I know he said, by the way, in Philippians, don't be anxious. Don't be worried. Don't be fearful. Faith means to accept that and to act on it. So that my very anxiety is a, is a testament that I'm not walking in faith. I'm not believing what God has said. I'm not taking him at his word. So on one side, faith is the foundation of everything God does in our life. And on the flip side, it's for lack of faith, I think, that we live, tend to live such shallow or fretful or worried lives because we're not trusting God and what he said, what his provisions are. When the letter to the Hebrews, this testament to faith, was written, it was written to Jews just like the Thessalonians who were suffering severe persecution and their lands and their wealth was being taken and they were being imprisoned and they were suffering big time. And the author of that letter wanted to make sure that they knew, guys, even if you forsake Christ so that things are a little bit easier for you now, you're being persecuted because of him. If you forsake Christ, there's nothing to go back to. If you go back to Judaism, it's types and shadows, but it's not the reality. So even if you buy yourself some breathing room, you're not going back to any substance. You can escape a bit of persecution for a day, but there's no substance, no reality for you to go back to. And then he reminds them about people they had known about, maybe forgotten about, people just like them who also suffered persecution or loss or challenges in life. And he reminds them of what God did in and through them because of faith. So in chapter 11, he reminds them Noah built an ark. Noah saved the world, didn't he? Through faith, he built an ark. You and I, none of us here would be here today if Noah hadn't acted in faith and built an ark. He's the only one left, he and his family, after the flood. Abraham had a child in his old age through faith. Moses was preserved by his parents, this text says, because of faith, because they trusted God. Later, Moses grows up and leaves Egypt to become Israel's leader, the text says, through faith. Think of this, the walls of Jericho, Archaeologists still dig around these walls today. The walls of Jericho fell because of faith. You know, not a sword taken out, not a battering ram. They did what God said. They believed him and the walls fell down. The walls of Jericho fell down by faith. And Rahab, the prostitute in the city of Jericho, was saved because of faith. She and her family. Because she knew those spies from Israel, they represented the real God and she trusted him. And she was saved by faith. In God's economy, faith is the power that accomplishes his work. I'm reading in Luke's gospel this week. And you remember Jesus is walking through a crowd trying to go to a guy's house because his daughter is sick. And a woman who's been bleeding for years and has spent all her funds trying to get help and no helps to be found. She knows who Jesus is. And she knows if she can just touch him, she'll be healed. And she just reaches out through the crowd and just touches, it says, the hem of his garment. And he says, he stops. He says, power went out of me. That all she had to do, she knew who he was. And she touched him and she was healed. And it's the power of Christ healed her simply because she knew who he was, that he could heal her, 
And that all she had to do was act in faith, which was to touch him, and she was healed. But faith is the power of God on the earth to accomplish his purposes. Think of this. In this world, you can have money and power and influence and prestige and have absolutely no impact on eternity. None. Or you could in this world have no influence, no power, no money, and through faith you can affect eternity because faith is what God uses to move his program in this world. So think of all the the powerful men and women who have lived on the earth who didn't know Christ. When they're done, the sum total of their life is over. And it's over with their time on the earth. But for a Christian, if you're the least, you have the power to affect eternity and receive rewards from Christ that will last in eternity, even if in this world you amount to, as far as the world's concerned, a nothing or no one, because God moves in this world through faith. If you have faith, you have God's power in this world. Quantify this just a little bit. You can see freedom in your own life as you trust Christ and obey Him. And I don't know if all of us have different issues, but if you've had an issue in your life where you were disobedient and you knew you were acting contrary to God's Word, and at some point you say, okay, I give up, I give in. Lord, I'll do it your way. I'll give this up or I'll start doing that. You know, over time you look back and you say, man, I am so much better off than I was before. I experience freedom when I act in faith on what God has said, when I take him at his word. You can live with purpose, peace, joy, because you know who you belong to and that his purpose in your life is good. Uh, I don't know if you get World Magazine, the current issue has a, has a key article on I believe the guy's name is Joe Esterhouse. He's a Hollywood uh, film writer, producer. He's made millions. He's written uh, movies probably a lot of us haven't seen uh, in the past. Uh, Sliver, Basic Instinct, I can't remember. Very successful. Uh, His life, he was a total loser. He was was a total alcoholic. He was uh, killing himself with cigarettes. And one day he trusted Christ. And he's a Christian now. And his life's totally turned around. One of the things he said was, he has peace now that he never had before. Well, he has that because he has faith in Christ. It totally revolutionized his life. It turned his life upside down. He has a purpose for living now. You can live free of worry. I say this. I think this is one of the sins most Christians fall into. We worry. We're anxious about things. When God says, don't worry, don't be anxious. When we're anxious, when we worry, we're acting as if God isn't real. Or Christ doesn't care. Or he hasn't made us promises. This is a sin I think all of us are prone to. We can, we're intended to live worry-free lives as Christians. And the way we do that is we believe what God has said about his provision for us. In any or every circumstance. And when we believe what he said, worry goes away. Anxiety goes away. Because we're trusting Christ for those things we can't control anyway. You can also become a part of what... Uh, Christ is doing the world as others come to him through faith. When you share the gospel with others through faith, others become Christians. Or you can be a part of them gaining more freedom in their life as you, through faith, serve them by sharing the scriptures with them also. 
So when you assess yourself, when you look at your life objectively, and you say, I've got great looks, or I don't, or I've got uh, a will of iron, you know, I have a strong determination, or I wimp out, or uh, I've got a genius IQ, or I'm academically, you know, at the lower echelon, or I've got a pleasing personality, or people tend not to like me. However it is, whatever you look at it, your life, however you quantify it, can you say, or would you say with Paul, that faith is the treasure in your life, and that is the single most important element or virtue you have. It is that within you with which you can do nothing else or without which you can do nothing. Do you see faith as the greatest treasure in your life, in your heart, to be treasured and protected and fed? By the way, do you know how you get faith? And do you know how you strengthen or increase faith? There's really two things. But the first one I'm thinking of is, you read your Bible. Have you ever heard this before? You read your Bible. Paul says in Romans 10, 17, faith comes by hearing Christ's word. You know, even to become a Christian, it's because we hear the truth about Christ. Faith comes by hearing Christ's word. If you're not reading the Bible you're not meditating on the truth that God has already spoken, you're going to be faithless. You'll be short on faith because it's the truth of who God is and what He's revealed that feeds faith. So we should be in the Scripture so we know what God has said, so we can believe it and trust it, and then act on it. Someone in Sunday school quoted James saying, Faith without works is dead. The other thing that strengthens faith is acting on those things God has said. Sometimes we're, we're a little uncertain. Uh, God says to give generously, and, and that's hard for us. But we give generously instead, and we see God bless. And our confidence in God and His trustworthiness is built up through obedience. But ask yourself this, are you reading God's Word regularly so that you can be faithful, filled with faith? And are you acting on the things, the commands of God? And are you trusting the promises of God so that your faith is being built, so that you're increasing it? Paul's boast at the end of his life was this. In 2 Timothy 4, verse 7, he said to his young protege, who had been in Thessalonica, he says, I fought the good fight, I finished the race, I kept the faith. That would be a great epitaph for any Christian. I fought the good fight. I didn't, I didn't get out when the going was tough. I finished the race. I went through to the very end. I kept the faith. This is no small thing. If you and I can say that about ourselves at the end of our life, we'll have done well. I've kept the faith. The enemy, we do have an enemy, the enemy of our souls seeks to tempt us out of faith. Paul brought this up in this text, that you'd be tempted by the tempter. And sometimes that temptation is in the face of persecution. If you're a Christian today, if you're living in places like Egypt, Jordan, Iran, Iraq, China, persecution is one of the key ways the enemy seeks to take faith away from Christians. Persecution, opposition, real difficulties and challenges. But guess what? He is adept at using whatever is at his disposal. So 
his tools, I'm convinced, in the United States and in the West and in places where we have lots of material wealth, it's to use things like our wealth and our comfort and sports and entertainment and you name it. And it's just to water us down. It's to divert us or to distract us. Opposition and persecution work well, but so do these other things. So do comforts and, and a little sleep and a little slumber. They both work. Paul says the, the enemy of their soul was trying to tempt them out of a life of faith, and he's still doing it today. Paul sent Tim back to the Thessalonians to ask them, is your faith intact? Are you still walking with Christ? You and I have no greater treasure within ourselves, intrinsically. The greatest thing we have is faith. And it's the basis or it's the fount from which God does everything else in our life. It's the treasure we need to be looking over, guarding, building into. It's the question we need to be asking others as well. Are you still walking with the Lord? How's your faith today? Let's pray. Lord, that chapter in Hebrews 11 goes through a litany of the great men and women in the faith in the Old Testament, Lord, who trusted your word, who were a part of what you did, uh, received back even the dead, back into their lives, Lord. They overcame, they endured through faith. They were part of your mission in the world because they believed you and because they acted on your word. Father, we tend to live such shallow, mediocre lives. When we, believe, when we belong to the king of the universe. I pray, Lord, in our day and our time that we can live and act in such a way that our epitaph can read as Paul's did. We fought the good fight. We finished the race. We kept the faith. Or that, Lord, you could add our names to those heroes in Hebrews 11 who accomplished your will in their day and their time simply through faith. God, help us to lay all our plans at your feet Help us to trust you for the things that concern us. Help us to be in your word. Help us to be sensitive to the leading of your spirit so that we are leading faith-filled lives, lives that honor you in obedience, that are filled with hope for the future, lives, Lord, that we can look back when faith and hope are realized, when we see you face-to-face and have no regrets whatsoever. In Jesus' name, amen.